Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. some kind of love Okay, it's uh, it's nice to have all three point nine 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 five of us together again. Um, I uh, we 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 thought maybe about uh taking a, an an injured list week, uh, because. I got my appendix out over the weekend. Uh, that was a, a, a fun time. Uh, Do you not still have it with you? Is that you're not all... <laughs> in? I'm a little miffed that they didn't let me keep it after the surgery, but not because I was going to like keep it on my mantle or anything. Uh, because if they had let me do so, I was going to drive it to a bridge and throw it off cursing it the whole way down into the coursing james river i think i think if you were gonna do that you should have dressed up like jack black in anchorman and punted (laughs) it off the bridge yes that is that is the general imagery that came to mind uh but but anyway uh i i was i was fortunate that i i noticed i noticed the pain pretty quickly and and had had the good sense to, to like go to the ER and get it checked out, and so they were able to get me home from the hospital within 24 hours, which was great. And I have been just kind of recovering at home ever since, and and I'm I'm feeling actually pretty good today, and and so I wanted to I wanted to celebrate that by uh, coming in and hanging out with you dorks for a while, uh, and and doing that thing that we sometimes do, which is uh, talking about an article that riles uh, one or maybe all of us up a little bit. Yeah. And it's ironic too, because this is very millennial targeted. So in some ways it is uh, navel gazy, if you will, which seems very appropriate given uh, your, your injury. Um, But I was also, it had me thinking as you were going through that, I was like, well, we read this article and it has to do a lot of the disruptive service economy Um, and, and I know that uh, at least in New York, I don't know if it exists elsewhere, but there is one in the healthcare realm called Oscar. And I I think that there are other health related things, but it's just, it's interesting to me how, um, much these have infiltrated. And I'm just thinking, what are things that I've seen on, uh, Metro cars or or subway cars that are like the, the new service that does this. And and the article itself was very New York focused and and who wrote it. uh, I've actually read a bunch of his stuff, but his name escapes me at the moment. I got to be honest with you. I, Oh, it's Kevin Roos. That's who it is. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kevin. Roos is a, a tech writer at the New York times. And he wrote an article about the end of what he called the millennial lifestyle subsidy. And and basically, uh, the uh, uh, we as a, a generation tend to have this habit of giving very sort of overwrought uh, overwrought names to to phenomena that occur. So uh, to unpack that a little bit, uh, 
basically what he's referring to is the phenomenon by which, uh, as a condition of the startupification of our lives and the techification of our lives, uh, these sort of app-backed services uh, that are, are funded in large part by venture capital firms uh, would basically uh, institute through some form or fashion uh, a very artificial price ceiling in the early going that would make the use of their services particularly affordable with the idea that that would help them uh, grow and scale the two the two things that every every new tech company wants, even though those are actually just one thing. Uh, but now it's it's several years later. Uber's been around for a while, and uh, they've decided, hey, maybe let's let's take a run at this whole profitability thing that we we keep hearing about. Um, it's, and it's also, I, you know, I think subsidy is such, such a great, great word in all of this because of, of this artificial prices. I think about now there has been this whole, this whole pandemic thing for, for a while, and that has kind of inhibited some of it. But even before that, you know, a lot of these com- companies were of an age that go public and kind of the way your balance sheets uh, work changes because you have to report to everybody how much money you're losing. Um, and I mean, we, in some ways we see this with things like Netflix and Disney plus and everything else. And they want to continue growing even when they already have this market share. It's not just that our revenue grew. It's, it's at what pace, but you know, things have kind of become real going back to the word subsidy because that was a thing that didn't really rock me in the article. And I think the, the idea was it was supposed to in some ways or maybe for some it's like all of a sudden you know we got these discounts you would get the thing that would come in once a week and say oh you have 30 percent discount on your uber rides this week or in ways that they have both vertically and horizontally scaled it's like oh uh and now you know the the uber eats service it gives you a deal this week or our ten dollars off doordash and just all these different things you're getting these coupons and it's to me, it was always obvious that this is trying to get me hooked so that I don't leave it when when the other shoe falls. I mean, Kevin or Max, did this surprise you at all either that, like, of course, this is coming to an end? Uh, for me, what the, the surprise kind of came earlier. So I was actually, um, I don't know if I would use the word fortunate, but I was in, like, the the Bay Area kind of as Uber was sort of starting to take off. And I remember the first time I took an Uber, someone like called an Uber for us and it was like a black car. And we took it from San Francisco back to Berkeley. And it was, um, you know, very cheap. And I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And then as it kind of started to enter everyone else's lives, it was also very, you know, it was still very cheap. And then I think kind of, I saw that, or I guess I kind of saw that the normal rides were kind of the price that like that black car seemed to be. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is just like, this is going to not be that forever. So I wasn't surprised like when this like second, as a second wave has come, but kind of that first one, I still was a little like, oh, this is how things work now. 
Yeah, I guess, I mean, I I don't have experience like that uh, with Kevin, but I, yeah, I can't say I was particularly, I would be particularly surprised. Um, I don't think as much about Uber, but I think about a lot of like the food service companies that I either read about or see offers for, and it's like, well, you know, they can't send you free food forever. Um, hmm. But I'm definitely not sure, like, I, I, there, there's probably some surprise for me. Like, I, sometimes you see these companies that are talking about you know it's innovative and it's it's new technology and you hear all these buzzwords and all these things and and so part of that is is trying to market to you i think that it's just they found such an efficient way to do something that's been going on for years and years that they're able to serve it to you at at a much lower price but if the if the efficiency is just stealing money from venture capitalists with the promise of returning it in 10 years then then you know, maybe we were maybe we were sold something else, <laughs> and, and, right? And that's the thing because that is exactly what was happening this whole time. It's the, it's the fundamental premise of venture capital is it's it's an investment at an early stage when it's still you know when something is still a venture, uh, with the idea that that venture the capital that you give to that venture will grow and turn into a great deal more capital later on. So, like, of course, you know, to a certain extent, I think our all four of our reactions has essentially been, like, people probably should have seen this coming. Uh, but clearly, by the, the reactions that are, are captured in Ruth's article, that was really not the case. Yeah, and it makes me think of we've talked about an artificially low price for these what they're providing is is a service and i think one thing in the internet age is that is that what we call it but basically in the last 25 20 years if something is free and you know it, it comes from it's almost like a a revolution in the uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch now it's like if something is free, you're the product. Like, you know, nothing is is actually free. And so it's almost like we've gone now from this artificial, basically free product to to now there, a service is not going to be free. Like now we are paying for that service. Like there are people who by us buying the service, it, it has a value. And then those venture capitalists are, are getting it back in, in stock and whatever. And, and I think that, Maybe that's shocking to some people, but the the thing it makes me think about is now I am truly paying for this service and I'm seeing how much it costs. So we're to a point now where where maybe there's something good in this and that we're actually evaluating these services themselves. And if they're all about efficiency um, and everything must be efficient and, and efficiencies must be disrupted or whatever... I kind of have to decide if efficiency is even a product I want. And you also have to parse out who the efficiency is aimed at. Yes. Because these companies do a very good job of marketing to you that the efficiency is something that is going to help you. Mm-hmm. But really, it's not that that's not the case, but it's... I mean, they're, it's a casino. They're never going to help you more than they help themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the, and, the fundamental premise of a company. Yeah, and, and, one, and one that we haven't mentioned yet, but I know that the four of us kind of had a 
an interesting conversation about is is Airbnb. And in, in our research, and we actually did, you know, cumulatively, we did a lot of research on this. And it was not clear, and, and I'm sure we'll get corrected or find out more later, but it's not clear to us that the, the fee structure for Airbnb has, has actually changed. What we have seen of late is that prices for Airbnbs have gone up across the board. Their revenue has gone up. There are a number of different factors. A lot could be coming out of the pandemic or people just living wherever during the pandemic. But the point is, is that Airbnb's um, you know, revenue has gone up a lot. And I think Airbnb of all these things is, is maybe one of the most millennial, um, most uh, wealth gappy um, in that you have someone who, who holds a property that is renting it out to a person who wants to go stay somewhere and is willing to pay for an experience or something different or whatever. And that's one where I do kind of wonder, I still am attracted to the product, but I'm really starting to think, okay, are the old ways of like staying in a hotel or something uh, bad? And, and so I'm starting to get to a point with where one like that, where I'm deciding, you know, what is the efficiency here? What is it solving for? This, we may have fallen into a, a good thing because now I'm able, you know, now something like a hotel is similarly cost and I can really think critically about, you know, what I want as a consumer. Yeah, with with Airbnb, I think it's it's similar to Uber in that when they first came in, they found something that isn't ideal, and then they made it. I, mean, I guess Airbnb wasn't pricing the, the units, but like when it first came online, it, it was better and it was is cheaper. And then now the 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 cheaper part might be going away, but like the better part, like saying for like so for like Uber, like ordering ordering on your phone with the GPS and having your credit card already get automatically get charged or whatever, like that's still better, even if the price is going to be the same as like a cab with Airbnb. It's like, I think that the thing I've seen, like this is anecdotally is that people kind of buy properties now just to have on Airbnb as opposed to like, Oh, let me rent out my second room. And so but, that shoots the price up. But what you're seeing with Airbnb, I think there, there was an assumption in what you said, which is that, you know, if the price is going to be the same as the cab and what we're seeing over the last year is that that's not the case at all. In fact, Air, uh, Uber and Lyft have gone from a structure, a pricing structure that was similar to a cab to, you know, where, where you'd have more or less a meter that charged you an amount at the end of your trip based on distance and time. And now the, the algorithm is, is giving you a, a black box price up front that uh, no one, I'd be willing to bet, even like half of Uber's developers couldn't tell you exactly what goes into it. And, and so like, I, I don't know that you can assume that for something like Uber or Lyft where, mm -hmm. where this, this subsidy functioned to, to take something, I, we, we talked, when we were talking before we started recording, somebody, I, I think it was Max, used the term millennial luxuries. And I, I think the one of the most important things in this is that the whole point of this subsidy period was to take these things that uh, on paper are totally luxuries and to worm them into your lives in such a way that they are seen as a necessity. 
and yeah. and so like I, that to me feels much more insidious than whatever is happening with Airbnb, which I, I'm inclined to agree is a little more. Uh, it's probably a little more market market conditionsy, and also has the the crucial step that the the people who oversee the physical inventory that Airbnb accesses are the ones that are setting the price that you, the customer, pay to rent. So, like, they at least still have some sort of lever of control. If they think their property is worth more, they can charge more. If your Uber driver thinks your Uber ride is worth more than Uber is going to pay them, they're fucked because they have yeah. no mechanism to change that. And. And the other thing, and and I can speak to this because I sat in a conference, a pretty small conference with with a, a Lyft executive, and they said, we have not caused there to be more cars in the road. And this was probably three years ago, probably not more than that. And then subsequently, it has come out that now there are more cars on the road. So the downstream effects of this, of, of getting you hooked on, on these products are there are more cars in the road um, during rush hour. They are, they are car trips where at some point people are basically deadheading and they're driving around waiting for rides. So these are inefficient rides. Um, this hurts the, the road infrastructure, obviously. And in the meantime, there are less riders in all these public transit systems. And now they don't want to go back to them after, you know, subsequently you're talking to people about this. Somewhat anecdotal, but it's, it's also true. A luxury of being millennial is I get these cheap rides. And now I, you know, I, I can't ride the, the, the subway. Why would I do such a thing? Um, and, um, you know, the, the, final, the final part of that is speaking of subsidies, there were a number of instances to try to solve last mile problems and stuff. You had municipalities giving money to Uber and Lyft to subsidize rides as opposed to having better bus services. So now this stuff is all more expensive and, you know, wow, that was a really silly thing if we thought that that was sustainable. Um, actually, I think Hamilton Nolan wrote about this fairly extensively, but... And, and, and look, that's none of that is to to like let the airbnbs of the world totally off the hook i mean there there certainly is the possibility for for There's downstream a housing effects shortage of that. right now <laughs> right and and not only is there a general housing shortage right now there we're we're recording this at, at a, a time in american life where specifically there have been a, a spate of stories recently about you know uh, about investment firms and, and private equity like buying up single you know single family rental properties like the kind of things mm -hmm. that often wind up being rented out through services like airbnb and so like it's not it is not out of the realm of possibility that some of these similar shenanigans could wind up happening there uh but but you know i think i think you see it maybe a little more directly right now with you know with uber and lyft but like you know the idea of the idea of being a loss leader on something is hardly new or innovative. I mean, for for a long time, you know, when I when I was working in my job as a, a marketer, I did ad campaigns for Sweetwater, who who sells you know music and audio equipment, and you know they for their customers they ship stuff free. Like they would ship. I'd buy a, a set of $7 guitar strings and they'd ship that to me free and would almost certainly wind up losing money 
on the shipping. Um, and they, they did that to, to foster a customer relationship. Uh, I mean, God being, being a loss leader in some segments of his business is the entire amazon.com story. You know, they're, they're the, they're the er example of all of this. Uh, but it just, it was staggering to me, I think, uh, in, in this story, he mentioned that Uber had a quarter where it lost $3 billion. And it's like, I, how, if you lose $3 billion in a quarter, how the fuck are you not shut down immediately? Well, and that, that raises kind of a question that I was going to come to you because, you know, we have to look ahead now. We are, we are maybe not shocked by, by the fact that they are trying to make money now. But the way they make money is your service has to be good enough that people keep using it. And I think some people are, especially right now, they haven't taken a lot of Uber rides recently, not as many as years past. So maybe you don't notice it yet. But are these going to survive as companies that aren't loss leaders? Or or for some of them, is is there some service that we're, we're not thinking of in, in terms of Amazon, like yeah, it makes money off retail, but it also um, provides cloud services for everybody so they can kind of fund it all with that. I mean, what's going to happen when the people are like, damn, my Uber and Airbnb are now super expensive? Well, or are they just going to hope that they have, you know, been effective loss leaders and effective subsidizers for so long that they have occupied that role of necessity and mm-hmm. you will bitch mm-hmm. about a price increase, but you won't actually take your business elsewhere. I mean, God, Netflix has yeah. increased its prices on several different occasions, you know, since, I don't know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I do keep yeah. trying to cancel, but the one person who, who still uses my account, which does not live in my, who does not live in my household, um, is like no, I I need access to Grace and Frankie, and um, due to my relationship with this person, I cannot cut ties <laughs> with Netflix over a show I will never watch. That's uh, that's fascinating. That feels like it it raises some other questions that are are very very specific to your circumstances. Yeah, I I would argue that that is most likely not uh, a a particularly broadly applicable experience. <laughs> well, and the other problem is, is, you know, the way, the way these work, um, and this, this will, is that, uh, they are the only way you can get this thing. Like you mm-hmm. have, you know, your Lyft account, um, you know, Airbnb, Uber and Netflix. You feel like this is the only mm-hmm. way you can get that thing. And like, I can't go buy DVDs of Grace and Frankie because it is a Netflix property. And if, um, you know, and if I get all this stuff through Uber Eats, um, I, I, I feel like I have to stick with, with the Uber vertical as well. I mean, it really does trap you in that way. And and especially since your other your alternative option, increasingly is just a different app that does us you know a marginally different version of the same thing. It's a streaming service that has another show that's like Grace and Frankie that isn't Grace and Frankie, or it's you know, it's Andre driving a Lyft instead of Andrew driving an Uber. You know, it's yeah. it's not. Or it's Verbo to your Airbnb. Right. Like your your choice, your 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 
incredible palette of choices is actually just a lot of nearly identical shades of the same paint. Well, that's why I'm, I'm curious. Like you're talking about this whole article as if this, this is coming to an end, but then you also say that being a lost leader is nothing new. So what exactly is coming to an end? I mean, do we think that, that venture capitalists are, are, are done with their ways of trusting Silicon Valley to lose $3 billion in a quarter no. and come no, out profitable? No, 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 no. Okay, no, no this... I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think what the article is posing is that this, it's ending for this particular generation of of companies. These, I mean, look, the, the word disruptor has come up on this pod already. And I, to me, the thing that that I took most from this is that these companies that were, were portraying themselves as these bold and visionary disruptors of industry that were, were going to, to usher us into a, a new era where business was done differently are exactly the same. It meet the new boss, same as the old boss. That that's what I took from the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Listen, Sears Roebuck worked for a long time. They said, hey, there are a lot of people that don't have access to these things or don't have stores near them. What if we send them a catalog and then they buy from us? And then every, and there might've been competitors, but then Sears is the one who stayed. And it ended up not working, but you know, I'm sure there's big investment in printing all that stuff and, and taking chances at, at the beginning. Um, but I mean, with all of this, yeah, it's it's not going to go away because it because it worked. I mean, a lot of people made a lot of money off of it, and I mean, I took a lift this past weekend. Just because it's more expensive now doesn't mean I'm going to take because it's you know I'm I'm hooked in 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 that way. And Airbnb is still going to be a pretty cool service because I don't want to have to figure out a relationship with like a in the americans what are they like travel the, the people that plan your travel a like travel, travel, agent. travel agent yeah like the fact that i couldn't think of that speaks to the fact that this is not <laughs> a service use what's happening max what's happening is these for this strata of stuff you know the fake luxury of the the cheap luxury i think is maybe the term for it of of having your own car being in it by yourself or, or having a really a really cool table at a restaurant which you know at some point maybe you have to pay for for resi or something like that that's that's over it's it's no longer that cheap it's still cheaper than true luxury but you know the luxury has kind of gone away yeah i think with the what makes airbnb unique and we, we mentioned it a bit earlier is that like with uber their their workforce are people who like most part i'm guessing are just looking for extra income because they don't like have enough already whereas with airbnb a lot of it are people who have enough for a second place and they are just trying to, to make more. So like, I guess what I mean is that when the prices on Airbnb go up, maybe users stop using it. And then the owners also have an incentive to like lower the prices where there's not like the workforce and the user have like separate goals. Mm-hmm. I didn't really say that as clearly as I, I no, to, I think, I think it, I think it makes sense is there is, I mean, in some ways, uh, the Airbnb scenario is one of of the haves, and I'm sure there are people on Airbnb who who are 
hosts and, and they probably they obviously their services in that and you have to clean it and everything else and you have property managers for those but this is somebody who had money to invest in some kind of domicile selling to someone who is able to go on a vacation and be like I'm not going to stay with friends. I'm not going to stay in a cheap hotel. I'm going to stay in something that is is unique. Whereas like, yeah, I mean, Uber and Lyft, those people don't make a lot of money. And usually they're trying to... To make ends meet. To make ends meet. Yeah, what I'm saying is like if Airbnb increases their fees, then the people who list their units on Airbnb are just be like, all right, I'm not going to use Airbnb. Whereas like if... Uber makes my ride go cheaper, but doesn't pay their drivers anymore. Then the driver isn't as easily able to just walk away from Uber. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's that's yeah, a hundred percent. The other the other takeaway from from this was just a reminder of how how awful it is to count on on something like this for your for your livelihood. Um, it's to you know to have to be in that position. And, and deal with the the you know fickle vicissitudes of Uber and Lyft uh, is is uh, not a situation of which I think any of us would be envious. Uh, I think it's also it's also worth considering like what what the next version of this is going to be because some some new you know twenty years from now the the next Kevin Roos is going to be writing this same story again basically i think that's more or less what we're saying uh, but but it it always i think it always winds up looking a little different so i i'm sort of i'm sort of curious to to zoom into the future and and see what you know what the the next iteration of this phenomenon looks like It'll probably be well-being stuff. I feel like I've oh, already God. heard ads for like you know on-demand therapists and stuff like that, which which is obviously very positive, but ultimately it will start to get more expensive because oh, yeah, or just like doctors in general, like that, yeah, exactly, people doing exactly. the different ways to do primary care and, and stuff yeah. like that. It'll be stuff that's more personal, and so when the price rises, that's even more hard. Like. Well, nice appendix the, that you got there. Be shame if something happened to it. <laughs> and the article I'm dreading is when like Costco ultimately has to increase the price of their rotisserie chickens beyond five dollars because if you want to talk about lost leaders, those five dollar chickens. Well, five dollars plus whatever infinitesimal percentage of your membership fee is allocated to each rotisserie chicken purchase throughout well, the year. That- Right, I'm not least... dropping my uh, membership anytime soon. Unless they <laughs> That's the that. least luxurious problem we've discussed here. The least first world problem, and that would actually affect a lot of people. Because I-, I would be interested to see how many uh, chickens Costco goes through in a year versus, um, you know, what? Yeah. How does that compare to like a Lyft or an Uber? revenue yeah, my, tell you my understanding is that pretty much all of their profit is just the membership fees and everything else is sold with like zero or negative margin that's fascinating it's i mean that's that's new i don't think i've ever uh, i have yet to to meet someone else who's uh who's got their costco membership for the chickens <laughs> they won't tell you that maybe they might not mention it but you know it could be a secret or like I had, they they might I not had know it themselves. For, I had I'm mine saying. for contact lenses and gas, because those things are legitimately expensive. Do contact but, lenses not fall under 
like prescriptions where you could you you can't get contact lenses from Costco without a membership. I like know. I know like with their with their drug with the prescription drugs and with like liquor and alcohol you can get those without a membership. No, in I certain don't, in most I don't states, because so. they don't. You can also order stuff online without a membership, is my understanding. So, really? anyways, we'll we'll discuss all Co- the Costco, hey, Costco good, and, Uber and bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's that's chicken, the lesson. That's chicken good, capitalism bad. <laughs> that's where we've wanted to get this whole time. Chicken good, capitalism bad. Uh, that that seems like a, a perfect place to wrap up and move on to Pierce's sorry. So, what are you apologizing for today? Um, well. Uh, First off, I went to a movie last night in a movie theater, um, and I'm not apologizing for, for for going because in the course of being there, I think there might have been 10 people in the movie theater entirely, and my household had made up 50% of the people in the movie that I saw, which was In the Heights. Um, of course, yesterday morning seemed to be when there was a lot of controversy around it, so I'm also not apologizing for seeing the movie that way because i have now engaged with that a lot there's a lot to read about about there and um i'm learning a lot from from the discussions of colorism in the latinx community um so that's been uh cringy but also good for me to learn about what i'm apologizing for is is i saw this this movie last night and i think it was really well done as a musical and typically i will say with with musicals that i am not inclined to them i've seen a lot um in in movie theaters and also in um normal theaters where it's it's a a stage theater um and it wasn't until last night that i really understood like what why i'm like i'd rather see a a talky movie a non-musical movie and what i realized is that some of the stuff i really like in movies is sometimes it can be snooty it's like you know uh, uh, (laughs) the way a camera moves or something like that but also when people are, are, are speaking as opposed to singing, um, the way it is usually conveyed, and maybe I need to see the right musicals, it's just there's a lot more nuance when you say something or don't say something than when you sing something. And the way everything is delivered and the way the plot moves is completely different when you're singing versus when you're saying. And that sound, that that's a you know, it's a very obvious thing. It obviates itself when you, when you say it, but it took me a long time to realize that that is my barrier. And I'm like, I can appreciate musicals, but why do I have this preference? And it's that I like the nuance. So I am sorry for doing the the thing where you're like, I don't like broccoli, basically. Now I'm able to explain, I do like broccoli, truly, but now I can explain why I am less inclined to musicals, but can still appreciate them. And I had a really good time at the movie. Um, so this was a an eye-opening moment in multiple ways, and that's to say you should you should go see the movie and engage with whatever conversations about it you can, um, and maybe learn how to better explain why you do or do not like a given musical. Okay, yeah, uh, be, being able to explain why you don't like musicals is is a, a good skill. I, look, still, still would be more useful in my life than calculus has been since high school. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's, yeah. I think there's something to that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, musicals are great. I, I, oh, I thought I, you were going to say calculus is great. I, I, I am also, I'm also generally inclined to agree that musicals are, well, I'll, I'll say musicals are often pretty good. Um, 
great great might be where you start to lose me but uh but a lot of musicals are are quite good so so they they deserve credit for that um but anyway let's let's wrap up with a, a big idea from pop culture uh and uh unlike several recent weeks where my answer has essentially been i don't know i didn't really have time to take in anything new because i've been very busy um having emergency surgery and having to spend you know five straight days at home recovering uh gives you nothing but time to uh you know relax and and take in uh various and sundry entertainment products and uh one of the things that i have really been kind of going whole hog on is the archive of Anthony Bourdain's show No Reservations, uh, which is mm-hmm. available on uh, Discovery Plus, which is a thing. I believe we have I believe we have discussed it on this podcast before. Uh, you know, speaking of of things that are 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 good but perhaps a little cringy, uh, there there are some some definite elements of. of uh, Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations era style that uh, don't really hold up all that well. Uh, But, you know, still, what's undeniably still there is that, you know, the the joie de vivre and the the love of of exploring new places and and trying to, to see it, see those places through the eyes of the people that live there. Uh, has has been great uh, fantasy escapism for for someone who has spent the entirety of the last five days uh, essentially either in my bed or on my couch. So uh, if you happen to have Discovery Plus, you can find no reservations there. If you're more of a parts unknown head, I want to say that's HBO Max. HBO Max. Um, but won't those be the same things? It's it's all. This is the singularity, except right. not how he expected it. Right. God, we didn't even we didn't even talk at all in in the pod conversation about how uh, how people are are longing for for something that huh. will bring together all of their favorite streaming services and and, and TV channels into one convenient package. Nope. Um, nope. Just comes in through one wire in your wall. <laughs> We didn't even is talk about fast? movie pass either. <laughs> how oh does it? God. How does it do if there's a storm outside? Well, that that sort of depends on. It depends a little bit on on what your uh, what your delivery mechanism is, uh, because there's there's the uh, the corded version, or there's uh, there's the the hands free, the uh, satellite, which is, um, you know, I think. It stops working when the clouds turn a certain shade of gray. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but yeah, that's, it's a description of a cable package. Um, but, uh, but that's, well, well I, I don't know. We don't need to get into that because given that we've done episodes on movie pass and cord cutting and streaming services and over the top, like I think, I think our, our heads would collectively explode if we spent too much more time on it. So, Instead, I will say uh, that is the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com, 
or subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app and device of choice. If you do that, please do us a favor, leave a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing, or just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Sitting in a seat, checking out the guys.